Live from the Weirton Area Museum and Cultural Center in Weirton, West Virginia, the Ohio Valley Cloak and Dagger Company, in partnership with Striplight Community Theater, presents Cloak and Dagger on the Air, La Femme Fatale. Tonight, three carefully crafted tales well calculated to thrill and chill you to the bone. First up, The Murderess, a 1956 radio play by Anthony Ellis, starring Carissa Martin and Nancy Longo. She awoke earlier that morning, earlier than she had thought she would. Purposely, she had gone to bed later the night before. She had read later. Then, to ensure the blessed passage of unconscious time, she took something to make her sleep, something to keep her from the slow morning hours. The bedside clock showed 8 a.m., but she knew it sometimes ran slow, and so she picked up the phone. The time will be 8.06 and 30 seconds. Automatically, she adjusted the clock and noted the ashtray overflowing with half-smoked cigarette stubs. 11 hours and 53 and a half minutes. Cheat the seconds and say 11 hours and 53 minutes exactly. It would be finished then. And she thought calmly as she had promised herself she would think today. I know I can't help thinking about it. It's silly to try and push it away, but I, I've got to occupy myself with every minute, every second, and time will pass. There's lots of things to do, and I'm lucky. I didn't think I'd be able to sleep at all, and I did get five hours. I'm, I'm lucky. She got out of bed, and knowing the morning paper would be lying outside her door, she perversely delayed the moment when she would bring it in, instead going to the kitchen and turning on the flame under the kettle. It was at that moment of brushing her teeth, washing her face, that she saw for the first time that day her face in the mirror, her own and she was drawn to it, leaning close over the sink, examining, searching, seeing in an instant of bright objectivity another face, a stranger. Murderer. Murderess. You. You, not me, but you. Your lips are chapped. It's always this time of year they get that way. You were a murderess. You killed someone. You killed him. I saw you. And when the face stared back, unmoved, she was afraid and, and reached up to touch the face, to feel it and know she was herself and not the thing in the mirror. It was 8.30 when she sat at the kitchen table to drink her tea and open the morning's newspaper. Extra, extra, read all about it. Bailey execution tonight. January 19th. Margaret Bailey, convicted slayer of her husband, John Bailey, is scheduled to die in the electric chair tonight at 8 o'clock. After a lengthy trial and fruitless appeals, the attractive widow was still, according to her attorney, H. William Adams, maintaining her innocence. No official word has been received from the governor's office but it's felt unlikely that a last-minute reprieve will be forthcoming. Mrs. Bailey, who shot and killed her husband four months ago, was reported to have spent last night in prayer. She... That's not a good thing to do. Lord, I mustn't read anymore. When I go out, I won't look at the headlines on the newsstand. I won't listen to the news broadcast. Not today. That would be very silly to read that. I wonder if I'd be praying. I wonder what she feels. <coughs> oh! <sighs> <sighs> Who is it? Lauren, ma'am. 
morning, honey. Laura, Laura, I forgot. You know, I forgot you were coming today. Oh, honey, if I had a nickel for every time I forgot. My aunt used to say to me, Laura, if you don't have your head screwed on tight, you forget it and leave it somewhere, sure as an angel. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've got some coffee on. Oh, that would be fine. I never did get a decent cup of coffee this morning. Hmm, that smells fine. Well, I'm just relieved you're here. Oh, uh, me too, child. Oh, everything was late. Bus was late. One of those devil in the air mornings, I guess. Cream and sugar? Oh, no, ma'am. I'm on my diet again. Well, here. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. As gold, honey. Thank you. It's truly a shame, poor woman. Pretty thing. At our ladies' meeting the other night, we were talking about her. Well, most of us don't think that she done it. Oh, ain't it awful, Miss Marion, when you think that there's a life that's going to be no more in a few hours? Laura, I... Oh, she spent last night in prayer. Bless her heart. You know, <clears throat> Miss Marion, I guess I'm a silly soulful woman. But I look at that face and I say, Lord, that little Bailey, she's no murderer. Just from her face, I say that. I don't think the court agrees with you, Laura. Court? <laughs> Somebody had to pay, and they take her. Because if you ask me, with these elections coming up and everything, they have to find her guilt. That's silly. Please. Oh, no, ma'am. I don't think it purely is. From what I read, there's lots of chances for another woman to have done it. The other woman. You sound just like one of those scandal magazines, Laura. Laura, I... Well, if you ask me right now, someone is sitting laughing to herself. Right this minute, and she knows what she done. And the good Lord will take care of her, all right. You'll see it. You'd better start vacuuming as soon as you've finished your coffee, Laura. I'm going to get dressed. She knew it had been a mistake to sit down with Laura. She had wanted to make small talk, the friendly, not important things that pass the time. She didn't even mind listening to Laura's pseudo-intellectual philosophies, which the cleaning woman so proudly expounded. And yet, in the process, Laura somehow managed to show, under the surface, almost profound wisdom. Marion might even have talked to Laura about herself, of unhappiness, of fear, relieving the pressing weight without disclosing the secret. But now, Laura was alien. Laura suspected something that she knew. It was 10 o'clock, and there were 10 more hours until 8. I'll get it, Laura. Hello? Hello, dear. Hello, Mother. How are you? Fine. Did I wake you up? No. No, I've been up since 8. Oh, is Laura there? Yes. Do you want to talk to her? No, no. Just tell her I'm expecting her on Monday. I wasn't sure whether it would be Monday or Tuesday, but I've decided Monday. All right. Are you all right, dear? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. You've got one of those headaches again. I wish you'd go to the doctor about it. It, it worries me so much. Why, you... I'm fine, Mother. I haven't got a headache. Oh, I'm glad. Would you like to come over for dinner tonight? I thought no, I... No, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, Mother. I, I've got a, a date. Oh? It's nobody you know, Mother. Well, that's all right, dear. I thought you might like to watch TV. There's a very good show at 8 o'clock. Jackie... I'm sorry, Mother. Maybe you could bring your date to dinner, and we could watch the show at 8, and then you could go on to wherever you're going. I, I told you, Mother, I can't. Look, I've, I've got to go now. I'll talk to you soon. All right, tomorrow. dear. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. 
Can you help me? <clears throat> I, I want to move the cabinet, ma'am. It hadn't been cleaned behind there since Noah. Oh, all right. Now, you just take the corner, honey. Don't you strain yourself. Just kind of lean, and I'll do the pushing. <clears throat> oh. <laughs> yeah, now, 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 just a whisker more. <sighs> there. Hooey, my, my, honey, if you've been missing any bills and things, that's where they are. Hooey, I declare. I'll take them, Laura. Well, here you are. Oh, what a nice-looking gentleman. Is he a... Uh... Give it to me. It's a picture of him... I thought I'd lost it. I, I thought it was lost. She saw it. His picture was in the papers. She'll remember. She'll, she'll think about it. She'll remember. Uh, it's a, a picture of a, a cousin of mine. I never liked him. He was a, uh, a black sheep, if you know what I mean. Uh, <clears throat> caused a lot of trouble, Laura. I'd almost forgotten all about him. I'm sorry I was rude. It just brought back very unpleasant memories. Oh, why, sure, that's all right. I understand. I had an uncle like that once. Oh, he was the devil. Funny thing, though, that cousin of yours sure reminds me of somebody. Somebody I've seen or know. Now, who could that be? It was noon. She had listened to the sounds of Lara vacuuming, kitchen harmonies, Clinking of china, ringing of silver. She had bathed and dressed automatically, slowly, always listening, waiting for a pause in Lara's cleaning ritual, a pause that might indicate that she had remembered, remembered whose face it was in the photograph. If she does remember, and if she comes back to me, what will I say? Do. And fastening the pearl necklace, Hands momentarily frozen behind her neck. The sounds in the kitchen had stopped. The clasp of the necklace was secure. But all of the plans so carefully made, all of those plans to ease the passage of this terrible day were gone. She knew she could never recapture them. She thought. After tonight, it will be better. And tomorrow, and next week, and next month, better. It's only the waiting for tonight, that's all. But what about Laura, photograph? Supposing she did remember him from the newspaper. Supposing she knows and doesn't say anything to me, waits until I go out, then calls the police. Careful now, honey, it's slick over there. Laura, I'm going out for a while. Get my hair washed. Uh, if anyone calls, tell them I'll be home by 2, 2.30. Yes, ma'am. There's some cold cuts if you want them for lunch. Oh, I'll be fine. Just a cup of soup, that's all. She put on her hat and coat and left the apartment, closing the door with unnecessary force. At the elevator door, she stopped and waited for a few moments. It's silly. She doesn't know anything, suspect anything. Besides, she didn't have a chance to look at the picture for, what, more than a second or two? Who'd believe her? Well, lots of people resemble other people. Unless, unless the police do suspect somebody else, and they know it wasn't his wife. What if this newspaper stories were just a, a trick, trying to make me think that she was going to die tonight, knowing she's innocent? Yes, I know. Yes, 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 well, I saw with my own eyes, yes. Well, I'm just telling you what I know. That's right. Laura? Oh, uh, uh, oh, Miss Marin, I didn't hear you. Who are you talking to, Laura? Oh, uh, my, 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 my sister, my sister Mary. Uh, uh, no, baby, it's Miss Marion. I'll talk to you later. Yes. Whoo, Mama, you sure did scare the life out of me, honey. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoo! <laughs> I forgot something. And with a fresh lie on her lips, she went into the bedroom, sat on the bed, 
suddenly feeling pale and cold. It was 12.15 on the bedroom clock. She had called the hairdresser and canceled the appointment. She knew that she couldn't leave the apartment, not at least until after Lara had gone. And that wouldn't be until 4.30. Lara had been calling the police. She was convinced of that. But I don't think they believed her. Still, they might begin to wander. They might investigate. She was lying on the bed, arms folded behind her head, aware that her shoes were still on sharp heels endangering the lacy counterpane, but not caring. Hearing sounds of Lara's humming and an occasional groan as she stooped to her work. Even if they, they did come, they, they'd never find the picture. They, they couldn't prove anything. I, I'd deny it, but, but what I have to deny, they, they listened to that and they would suspect. I, I wish I could sleep. This isn't the way it was supposed to be today. But I think I'll make some coffee. Oh. Hello? Alice? N no. What number do you want? Plaza 42295. You have the right number. There's no one living here by that name. I'm sorry. You all right, honey? Yes. Well, uh, you want me to make you a bite of something to eat? I'm just going to make some coffee. Well, maybe you'd feel more chipper if you... Uh... You want me to answer? I will. I'm... Hello? Alice? No. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess it's still the wrong number. Honey, you're real pale. Why don't you take off your shoes and take a lie down? It's somebody trying to frighten me. That's the second time he's called. Now you take yourself a nap. That'll fix you. No, I don't want to. Oh, but honey, you're all riled up. You have something troubling you, Miss Marion. You want to tell me? Why do you say that? There's nothing wrong with me. Was it seeing that cousin of yours? The one in the picture? Well, now you can tell Laura. It was an old gentleman friend, not your cousin, wasn't it? And seeing him upset you, didn't it? Oh, I could tell. Oh, well. I'll make you a cup of coffee. Now you lay down for a spell, and when I come back, you can talk it all out, honey. Make you feel better. You better get back to work, Laura. I'm going out now. Honey, I'm worried about you. I wish you wouldn't go. She didn't turn around, didn't answer the maid, pausing only for an instant to take up her pocketbook and her coat. Then she left the house. For an hour, she walked in the city, aimless, not thinking, not seeing. And it wasn't until she noticed a cruising patrol car that things drew back into focus. Perhaps they're looking for me. They found out. They know. I should have done something. What? Killed her? Killed Lara? I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. Crazy for even thinking things like that. It's, it's three. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, five hours. I'll go to a movie. They wouldn't find me in there. They wouldn't think of looking there. It'll pass the time. She went into the first movie theater she saw, not looking at the marquee, paid her admission, almost ran inside, then sank into the worn, shiny seat and leaned back in semi-darkness and watched the flickering light on the screen before her without seeing or caring about its content. It was five o'clock when the second feature began playing. For 10 minutes, she watched now seeing and now hearing because the fantasy had momentarily taken her out of herself. Not seven, you jerk, eight. Look, I got 34 apples, right? Right. Hey, what is this, you guys? I says drop them apples and reach for the sky. Don't take 30 for me, right? Right. But you're a good guy. <laughs> 
He says I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm warning you, Stu, it now or... You give me back three. I got seven. You got eight. Four and four is eight. Ah, you ain't got no brains. It's arithmetic. Seven. <laughs> hey, over here. I'm the eight. one. Seven. <laughs> one. <laughs> Two. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Four. <laughs> Five. <laughs> Six. <laughs> Seven. <laughs> eight. 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 <laughs> okay, okay. Eight. Eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says eight. You heard him? I heard him. Eight it is. <laughs> Is he dead? Did you, did you kill him? You think I want to go to the chair? <laughs> you think I want to go to the chair. She went out on that note and didn't notice the side glances as she half ran down the street, her sobs catching her throat, tears streaking her cheeks. I killed him. He was bad. He should have been killed, but they wouldn't understand. I wish it were tomorrow. Tomorrow, I wish I was asleep and I, I wouldn't wake up. No, then I'd be dead. Because she'll be dead at eight o'clock. She'll be. Oh. Oh, oh. I I excuse me. I'm sorry, officer. You all right, ma'am? Yes. Yes, I'm all right. Are you sick? Why? I, I don't look sick, do I? I'm, I'm fine. You, you don't want to go wandering out on the street like that. You could get hurt. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm late. Excuse me. Sure. The patrolman looked after her, puzzled, caught the eye of a bystander, shrugged, exchanged an understanding grin, and continued his beat. It was six o'clock when she entered a quiet cocktail lounge on the side street. She needed to drink now, to forget, to blot out the last two hours of waiting. She couldn't go home. She knew they'd be waiting for her there. And she couldn't be seen again on the street until it was dark, until after eight o'clock. So she sat in a shadowed booth, drinking slowly, then drinking faster and faster, hoping for the dulling of sensibilities. not drunk and I want to be. Well, well, hello. Alone? Alone? Yes. Can I uh, buy you a drink? A drink? Well, it's kind of lonesome sitting here, ain't it? <laughs> oh, uh, waitress. <laughs> she drank with him and he was faceless. Nobody. She didn't even care that he sat close to her in the booth, urging her. How about another drink, honey? Slyly insinuating. He said things that she didn't hear. It passed the time. What's the time? Oh, uh, it's early. No, what time is it? <laughs> you got a date? Break it. I think I'm drunk now. It's okay. <laughs> Who isn't? Hey, we're having fun here, aren't we? What's the time? Uh, it's, uh, it's seven. Hey, wait, what, what do you care? Hey, how would you like I've to... I've got to go now. Goodbye. What are you giving me? I killed somebody, and I've got to go. <laughs> well, you're not feeling any pain, honey. Come on, let's have one for the road. Goodbye. Outside, it was dusk. She stood, swaying for a moment, and the sidewalk tipped under her, and she continued walking, slowly, carefully. In an hour, she'll be dead. In an hour. I wonder how long it takes to die. I think I know how she must feel now. Except she won't have to feel anymore. And I'll have to go on like this, like today, every day. She stopped on the corner. Paper, paper, get your paper here. Bailey killer dies tonight. Paper. Uh, paper lady? No, I don't think so. Is, is there a 
a police station anywhere near here. About five blocks down on your right. Thank you. It was quarter past seven when she went into the police station and said to the sergeant, I want to give myself up. I killed John Bailey. And so concludes Cloak and Dagger on the Air's presentation of the 1956 radio play, The Murderess, by Anthony Ellis. Our cast featured Nancy Longo as Laura, Gretchen Carter as the operator, Noah Hilton as the newspaper boy in comic number two, Rob DeSantis as the radio announcer, comic number one, and the bar perv, Chris, Chris Carter as the gangster and patrolman, and Emily Horace as Marion's mother. Carissa Martin starred in the role of Marion. And please give a special round of applause to our community guest star, Dennis Jones, who played the creepy man on the phone. Dennis will be signing autographs later downstairs. The Holy Foley Moly's provided our sound effects. Shane Meredith supervised our sound and our in-house composer, Lakin Weaver, created the original score. And now, this. The name's Daphne. Daphne Doolittle, the dame with the private eye. It was 3 a.m. in the city that always sleeps, and I was ducking, dodging, and dancing my way down, under, and around the slings and arrows of unrequited love, as eponymously embodied by... Ishtar Ashtar, annuated aggregator of amore. And tonight, my desirable doolittle, my darling Daphne, my demented devotion will be your devastating demise. Friends own me, will you, Daphne? Ishtar Ashtart was the mercurial manifestation of a myriad of mystical and mythical avatars of adulation by ancient auguries long since evicted from Earth's estate. She had been unwisely unleashed upon Weirton earlier today in my office on the top floor of the old building over there. After my unilobed and infantic but otherwise reliable assistant, Stinky Pink, did what he does best, interrupted me. Duh, boss. Hey. Uh, the boss. Hey, boss. Stinky Pink, haven't I told you to never, ever impinge upon my midnight meditation? You know, my focus falters whenever my Tai Chi is kiboshed on the cusp of dusk. Now, where is my chai tea? Gee, I'm sorry, boss. We got us a client. You sure it's not the landlord? No, he's locked up. He demanded we pay the rent, so I made a citizen's arrest for blackmail and extortion. <laughs> Good work. That'll hold us over until our next case, or until the next check bounces. Speaking of which, lift the door off its hinges and show this floundering fella in. Her, boss, her. It's a lady. She calls herself... Professor Marion Braxton, Dean of Ancient Ologies, Ographies, Onomies, and other suffocating suffixes at the Online University of the Internet. The boss. How'd you know that? It's almost like you're a... Are you boss? Are you... A, a witch? Absolutely, Stinky. I practice the dark art of reading. Her card, in this case. She just handed it to me. I'm also an adjunct professor at West Liberty University. That part wouldn't fit on my card. Oh, witch. Say it ain't so, boss. I'm descended from a long line of witch hunters. I'm afraid I'll have to burn you at the stake tonight. And so soon after Valentine's Day. But it's my sacred ancestral duty. Now where are my matches? Oh, right next to the extra gasoline in the back seat of my car. Extra gasoline? Yeah, in case I run out of gas. Be right back. What a fascinating species of, of, what is his species precisely? Undetermined. 
Some scientists think he's the missing link. Others think the weakest link. And you? He sweeps the floors, makes a mean grilled cheese sandwich, and puts the lid back on the Ben and Jerry's. What more could a single girl ask for? Well, from a sociological standpoint... Rhetorical question, Professor Braxton. Rhetorical question. Now, what convulsant conundrum confounds you? This, detective. And urn? Precisely. And it's your urn? My urn. Ah, urns. This one appears to be a funerary urn, circa 800 BC. Give or take a century and a messiah or two. One can never be too sure with urns. Indeed. But where did you find this urn? Well, normally, I buy my urns in bulk from Doug Jackson Hands of Clay. But this one I got at a community yard sale. You buy your urns in bulk? I have pet rats. I buy them in bulk, too. You see, rats never live long, and I can't bear to part with them in this life. So I cremate their corpses on the patio grill, cast their cinders in a colorless urn, and stash them on the mantelpiece. I have two. Urns? Uh, no. Mantelpieces for the urns. I see. But what makes this urn special, Professor? It's hermetically sealed. Hermetically sealed? Yes! Has been since I bought it for a quarter. This urn was kept in a mayonnaise jar in the back of Mr. Funk and Mr. Wagnall's porch ever since noon on May 22nd, 1992. Lovely gentlemen, Mr. Funk and Mr. Wagnall. Roommates since college. Of course, just roommates. Of course. (laughs) So why did you bring this urn to me? Because, detective, I can't get it unsealed. And Rat just died. Rat? My oldest pet rat. And his name was... Rat? All my rats are named Rat. I'm farsighted, so I can't tell them apart. I just call them all Rat. Your imagination is intoxicating, Professor. Above the legal limit. Now, Detective, Rat, the Rat, was special to me, and now that he's tossed his salad, I need his urn for his ashes. Can you unseal the urn? Naturally. Most hermetical seals are designed to keep academics out. They are? And children, but mostly academics. Fortunately for you, I have a PhD in common sense. A little twist of the lid and... Ah! 10,000 years in an urn and my double joints have triple the crick and quadruple the creak. Also incessant itching and sybaritic stirrings in my libidinous loins. Where's my healing herbs and dutiful dwarves when I need them? After all, I am the annuated aggregator of amore. It's well past my time to suss out some sultry and savory subordinates for my hot-blooded hankerings. Oh, where to begin? Egypt, exhilarating. Rome, ravishing. Greece, gargantuan. Mesopotamia? Oh, Mesopotamia. The men in Mesopotamia are so mundane. Professor Braxton, what is that? Well, I'm not an expert. You're a professor! Adjunct and online. Hmm, good point. But surely you know how to summon Siri the seer. Ah, now you're in my wheelhouse, detective. Summoning Siri the seer now. Oh my goddess, who is this lovely creature? Uh, me? You know, I've spent eternities with men. Men of all kinds, tall and ugly, short and fat, fat and ugly, tall and short. Tall and short? Height does not always equal length. Got it. But never have I encountered a human female with quite the amorous allure and concupiscent charm as you, my shimmering shell of skin and bone. What are you saying? I think I'm in love. Ah, great. Not again. And to think I bitterly banished myself to the incommodious confines of a Trojan urn, all because of the moodiness of men and their Machiavellian monotonous and mutton-headed machinations. Yet, the first breathing being I see after all of these incalculable centuries has rendered me balmy and besotted by 
Her? Purely carnal attractions. Why, I never thought of the female species before, other than a slave. Professor, anything from Siri the Seer yet? I fear a non-consensual act of necromantic nookie in my near future. Mm-hmm, 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 uh, Could I have your Wi-Fi password? I'm out of data for the month. Password. Yes, your password. Password. Yes, what is your password? P-A-S-S. Oh, detective. Password is a highly impractical password. It's one of the two things that makes sense to Stinky. What's the other thing? Quantum mechanics. Now, get this phantasmagoric pest off my tail. <gasps> phantasmagoric pest? Detective Doolittle, I am the authorized amalgamation, the archetypal aggregate of Aphrodite, Inanna, Venus, Isis. I am a goddess supersized. Hold the Freya, don't mind the dwarves, but the giants are a little too thick. Love the Brising's necklace, though. The panoplyic prestidigitations of a kajillion cosmic kingdoms are within a silken snap of my well-manicured fingertips. Yet, in spite of my almighty awesomeness, I pour forth my foolish heart to you. And this is how you recklessly remit my impassioned infatuations? Well, fine. I've annihilated more than one lung-headed lover in my time. Pre prepare to be pummeled with palpitations of pulsating power! And with that prodigious pronouncement, my petulant would-be paramour bloomed bigly, ascended through our ruptured roof, and hovered high above Weirton's contaminated clouds. And now, the power of the goddesses shall be unleashed upon your harpy head, detective. You have scorned me, rejected me, ghosted me, all to your unsavory end and eternal doom. Happy Valentine's Day, detective. Here's your one-way ticket to the pit of Hades. Give my hugs and kisses to the undulating underlings of the underworld. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Professor Braxton! <laughs> yes, just connected to the Wi-Fi. Oh, it cut out again. Curse you, Clumpcast! Professor! Oh, oh, it's back on, Detective. Hurry before Xfinity Xnays again. Siri. Search for ancient spell or divination or incantation or limerick that would derive an unleashed spirit back into her crusty urn. I'm sorry. I do not recognize urn. A uh, vessel? Vessel is the third studio album by American musical duo 21 Pilots, which was released on January 8th, 2013. Uh... Uh, not vessel. Try, uh, uh, uh. I'm sorry. I do not recognize. Uh, uh, uh. Professor, if we don't get Ishtar Ashtar back into that urn, she could level this entire city, which might actually increase tourism. I, 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 I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Searching for, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Give me that. Oh, my precious. Smartphone, I need it. You don't need your precious smartphone. But I'm an internet academic. My 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 scientific method is Google Foo. Not tonight, Prof. Tonight you need to precipitably probe the resonant recesses of your cavernous cranium and get this glowering goddess back into that urn. <laughs> Never, detective. Never will I return to such a cramped carafe as that. And you can't make me. The urn? She broke the urn? What am I gonna do? Oh, what am I gonna do? About her? Uh, no, about the rat. Rat's ashes. They can't stay in a Ziploc bag in my purse forever. <laughs> How's them granny apples, my antagonistic angel? Now my hauntings will harrow you well into the hereafter and beyond. Professor, never mind rat the rat. We have to... Okay, I I'm thinking. I I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking is a quote from the 2009 movie Night at the Museum. Ah, shut up! 
I do not recognize the Oh, you're a feisty female detective. I like feist. Alas, I will endure rampant remorse and reams of regret over your demise. But I'll get over it in half a millennium or so. And a little psychotherapy, of course. I have it, detective. I have it. Potholes. Potholes? Have you ever hit one? It's hell on wheels. Or without wheels if you hit it just right. What does that have to do with my galloping goddess? Hell on wheels, detective. In other words, Hades. She's going to confine you to the pit of Hades. So why not confine her to a pit of our own? The deepest pothole on Main Street. Huh. Worth a try. I'll need a shovel and some asphalt. Oh, oh, language, detective language. Stinky Pink keeps some in his private clubhouse out back. Clubhouse? It's really an abandoned portage on, but the smell suits him. Back into Jeff. Oh, detective, first, this, this plan, for this plan to work, you're gonna have to pretend you've fallen in love with her. I was afraid the professor would hypothesize such a theorem. I raced to Stinky Pink's private portage on, um... A clubhouse. Ugh, the smell. Ugh. Flush the toilet. It wouldn't flush, of course. So I held my nose while appropriating the asphalt. Ugh. Grabbed a shovel and raced back to the scene of paranormal pandemonium. Jumped into the deepest pothole on Main Street. <laughs> Professor, I need a rope. Will my dental floss work? It'll have to! Professor, I'll stand in this pothole and lure Ashtar in. As soon as you see her enter, start shoveling. But won't you still be in it? Don't worry about me, just trap her! Then doing my best to unveil, to veil my revulsions in a ruse of romance, I gamely summoned the super goddess. Oh, great Ishtar, Ashtar! I beg your mercy! Perhaps I was a hair's breadth hasty in avoiding your vamps. I would like to give it another salubrious shot. Why, detective, I am not accustomed to my beloved bulls recanting their rejections. Why, you are more lasciviously luscious to me than any half-witted Hercules or humdrum Hephaestus. Where would you like to honeymoon, honey love? Mount Olympus? The Valley of the Kings? <gasps> I know! Bran Castle, then El Dorado. Oh, I wonder what our celebrity super couple nickname should be. Daftar? Ishni? <gasps> Ashtar? No, Professor! Where are you going, my insatiable enamorata? seconds, the asphalt asphyxiated her, subcutaneously sealing her sordid soul below street level forever, or at least until next winter. Now, detective, if you'll excuse me, I have to go earn shopping. Rat's memorial service is at noon today, and it's all about the presentation. Farewell. Roof repair, new office furniture, materials used in the course of battle. What's that, detective? My invoice. You don't think I subjugate supernatural suitors for free, do you? Oh my. Guess I'll have to settle for the Ziploc bag. And as dawn dawned, I purposefully plodded my way back to the old building over there, now with a sunroof, intent on hermetically sealing the file on the case of the googly-eyed goddess in my own mayonnaise jaw and turning in for the night, well, the morning. But as I lifted the door off its hinges and entered my office, my heavy, half-opened eyes saw a shadowy silhouette of a stout, yet strong fellow, intently carving what appeared to be a pyre. Oh, the hay balls. I've sharpened the stake, spread the straw, and struck a match. 
I hate to do this, but it's for my family's honor. It's time for you to burn, witch. Burn. Uh, well, no rest for the weary and wary. Looks like another full frontal lobotomy is in Stinky Pink's future. Just another round-the-clock day in the life of Daphne Doolittle, the dame with the private eye. Now, where'd I leave my sewing kit? We were so happy together. Larry's father passed on when he was a little boy, and from that day on, I devoted my life to him. And as he grew, he devoted his to me. Lori and Larry, oh, what a lovely couple, many of my friends would joke. But it was true. We were a lovely couple. I and my handsome, tall son, everything a mother could ask for, considerate, polite, intelligent, and a good provider. Mother? Yes, dear? Mother, I wonder if I could bring a friend home for dinner Saturday. Why, of course, dear. We're going to be riding out all day, and we'll be pretty hungry. Could you make your famous beef stew the way I like it? Oh, the dumplings in the meat cut into teeny-weeny bite sizes, the way you liked it when you were a teeny-weeny little boy. Well, you don't have to go that far. I can cut my own meat now. Well, of course you can. I was just teasing. Well, don't tease me on Saturday, would you please, Mother? Is this a special friend? Yes. What's his name? It isn't a him. It's a her. A girl? Yes, Mother. Why, Larry, what's come over you? You've never been interested in girls. Well, don't you think it's about time I am? I can't imagine why. Mother, the time comes when a man But must... you're still a boy, Larry. I'm 25, Mother. And please remember that on Saturday. All right. If you'll remember something, too. What? Something you've forgotten just now. What, Mother? When you bring this woman to dinner, please remember to call me Lori, not Mother. Will you have another piece of persimmon pie, Roberta? Oh, I really couldn't, Mrs. Ryder. It's delicious, but I couldn't eat another bite. Larry, you will. No, thank you, Mother. Lori. But you've hardly eaten a thing, dear. Well, I've had two pieces, Lori. Oh, such a wonderful dinner. I don't think I could ever learn to cook a meal like this. Oh, I don't know. It just takes practice. Oh, I could never find the time. What with my job? It is well, no matter what. I've always managed to have a hot meal on the table for my Larry. Haven't I, dear? Uh, yes, Lori. Some more coffee, Roberta. Thank you, Larry. You're older than Larry, aren't you, Roberta? A little. I'm 28. Larry always seems younger than his age. He's led a very sheltered life. He doesn't seem too young to me. Really? Well, I mean, Larry's a man. Is he? Well, I suppose to a mother, a son never really grows up. But then you wouldn't know about that. Oh, I hope to. Someday. Oh, I'm sure you will. When the right man comes along for you. Mrs. Ryder, the right man has come along for me. He has? Well, congratulations, my dear. I hope you'll be very happy. Oh, we expect to be. Don't we, darling? Yes, dear. Larry, is this true? Why, yes, mother. Roberta and I are going to be married. What? Water. Here, Mother, take some of this. Oh, Larry! Mother, what is it? Larry, I, I, I didn't want you to know. You know what, Mother? I'm nine near do. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my heart, my heart, Larry! I have a heart condition. Sudden shock. The doctor said I must be careful. Oh, Mother. 
I'm sorry, Mrs. Ryder. Oh, I shouldn't have sprung it on you so suddenly. Well, well, the doctor warned me. Well, you just lie down on the couch and rest for a few moments. No, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all, I'm all right now. Well, as you see, Roberta, I, I need Larry. So do I, Mrs. Ryder. I love him. Well, so do I. And anyway, my dear, you're, you're much too old for him. So are you. What do you mean by that remark? Merely that it's time for you to let him go. It's time you let him grow up. Larry, are you going to let this woman insult me and you? We've talked it all over, Lori. She's right. I won't give you my permission. I'll never give you my permission. Well, I'd like your permission and your blessing, Lori. But I don't need it. I am of age, you know. You mean to say you'd walk out on your poor sick mother? Oh, leave her alone to die? Yes, literally to die of of a broken heart? Well, of course not, mother. We'll take care of you. Oh, of course. If you're really sick, you can live with us. No, never. So long as I'm alive, Larry belongs with me. Mrs. Ryder, I've got to say this. Larry and I are going to be married, even if it's the death of you. Then you listen to me, Roberta, and you listen carefully. If you try to take Larry away from me, it'll be the death of you. The ensuing half hour is not intended as propaganda to abolish the relationship between mothers and sons. The twin institutions of filial piety and motherhood have survived too long under the aegis of the fourth commandment to stand in any grave danger of dissolution by a single dramatic diatribe. No, the tale you're about to hear merely seeks to point out that there can be too much of a good thing. And as someone said, Be moderate in all things. We cry forbearance to mothers and beseech sons to render fully unto them only those things which are theirs, reserving all else for the women who will become the mothers of their children. Act two of Cloak and Dagger on the Air, La Femme Fatale, will continue in a moment with the second half of Don't Call Me Mother by William N. Robeson. We pause now for 10 minutes intermission. 